Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Began with a big dream, a dream when I was 11 years old. For some reason, that was about the time it began to click in, that these voices that were coming into my living room on weekends, I was completely enchanted by all of them, enraptured. And I went to Houston with one goal. That was to one day figure out a way to be discovered by CBS. <laughs> it, I would have taken any network, obviously. Sure. But the goal was sure. to work for CBS. And anyone that knows me since I was a little boy knows that that was the dream. Joining me here on this episode of Just Getting Started, the special NFL Voices tranche of podcasts that we've been putting out ever since the season kicked off is the voice of the NFL on CBS, none other than Jim Nance. How are you, Jim? I am doing really well. So excited to have the season here right before us now and uh, ready to get back to some football. Yeah, me too. No question about that. And uh, let's just jump right into the the subject matter here, which is origin stories and how careers began and how careers have evolved. And let's get started with yours. How did you just get started, Jim Nance? Well, formally, it got started when I was in college. But conceptually, it starts when you're a kid. And I think a lot of people can relate to this. It began with a big dream, a dream when I was 11 years old. For some reason, that was about the time it began to click in, that these voices that were coming into my living room on weekends, I was completely enchanted by all of them, enraptured, was hopelessly in love with the way that they took me to places around the world that uh, seemed far away and not even real. And uh, I nurtured it, that, that dream, and went to college to try to pursue it. And then thankfully in college, uh, there was a few things that would, I guess, would fall into the category of serendipity, but a lot of it, you have to make your own breaks as we all have, Rich. And um, I got started when I was at the University of Houston. And I went to Houston with one goal. That was to one day figure out a way to be discovered by CBS. <laughs> I would have taken any network, obviously. Sure. But the goal was sure. to work for CBS. And anyone that knows me since I was a little boy knows that that was the dream. I love CBS because I love the way that they presented the NFL. That was back in the old, old days of Ray Scott and Jack Buck was a play-by-play announcer at, at CBS. Of course, Pat Summerall and Frank Lieber, and uh, these were my heroes. And on top of it, the allure to CBS was the fact that I love the way CBS presented golf, and specifically the Masters Tournament. And that, to me, seemed like the ultimate canvas for a storyteller to paint the picture and to be able to try to hone his craft. That, to me, was the hook. CBS, the NFL, and the Masters. So the voices coming into your life when you were a kid were CBS announcers that caused you to want to put that jacket on, that CBS sports jacket? Well, I just just mentioned a few, but... It broadened out because ABC was in a golden era of television, too. Uh, now, when I was 11, Jack Whitaker was over at CBS. So he was another one of those voices I mentioned with 
with Summerall and Scott and Buck and Kleber. But I, I just loved the way, again, these master storytellers brought these events to life. It wasn't ever a hook for me, Rich, to be on television. To this day, I could care less if they ever put us on camera. I'm there to tell the story, enjoy the game, and try to do it jointly with a great partner sitting next to me. In this case, this season, of course, it's Tony Romo again. And uh, Jim McKay was a huge influence on my my life and my career. Chris Schenkel, uh, all of these men that I have mentioned, Keith Jackson, Kurt Gowdy, um, Dick Enberg, I got to know them all. I'm sure you got to know them all. And in some cases, I got to know them at a very high level. I got to deliver eulogies at Jack Whitaker's funeral, at Jim McKay's funeral. My life would go from a kid who was writing letters to them when I was in my teens, even my early teens, writing them letters and sometimes hearing back from them to later in life, you grow up and now you have not only their mentorship, but you have a relationship that's so authentic and real that when it comes time to say our goodbyes, and those have been painful times in my lives, uh, my life, I've been given the opportunity, been asked to stand up and 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 try to put together mm-hmm. some words about their their lives and their careers. A journey, indeed, no question about that. So, let's, uh, I guess, rewind back to the breaks that you said that happened in college. What happened at the University of Houston that uh, that springboarded for you? Well, I worked for a campus radio station, KUHF, which is K University of Houston. You know. Uh, <laughs> Proud, proud of my school. I love my school, uh, like you love yours. Mm-hmm. And that gave me a press credential to bring back from the sporting events audio tape that they could then insert the sound bites into their into their newscast the next day. The credential was gold. I wasn't paid anything. It was just an opportunity to go sit in the press box, see big time sporting events all the big leagues, college events, et cetera, et cetera, meet the important media members in Houston and watch how the big, big time guys that were coming in for the networks, how they in fact prepared and presented their shows. I would see them. I'd be hanging around in the, in the, in the press box. But one break that happened for me, Rich, my sophomore year in school, you know, I was masquerading as a golfer. I roomed, I was on the golf team. I actually lettered one year, but that was not the passion. The passion was to get to CBS. But my all of my roommates made it on the PGA Tour. Blaine McAllister, in fact, won five tour events. And Freddie Couples, of course, uh, has had a Hall of Fame career, and I got to be his uh, presenter at the Hall of Fame. All of them, my amigos, were best of friends to this day. They believed in my dream. They did everything to help nurture it and make it seem possible, plausible. So one day in May of 1979, we went out to watch the, the, the Houston Open Golf Tournament. Four guys from the University of Houston golf team go out to watch you know, the big stars of the PGA Tour. They all want to be that out there one day, and they all made it. But as we were walking by the 17th hole, I looked over and saw the NBC Sports compound. And uh, one of them nudged me and said, you want to go over, go over and ask uh, for a job? I said, no, I, I don't have any experience. That's not going to happen. But I tell you, well, it's not a bad idea. I should I should uh, look up Don Olmeyer while I'm here. Mm. Who's Don Olmeyer? 
I said, well, he's the big guy that runs NBC Sports, and he produces their he produces their golf. How do you know that? Well, you know, hey, I read the credits. Come on, guys. Yeah. I mean, I'm <laughs> studying this stuff. So you go ask Olmeyer, but you got to meet him. You got to meet him. So it was on a Friday. I didn't know if he was going to be on site or not. They weren't covering it until Saturday. But I went up to a security guard with my mates, and I asked to see Don Olmeyer. And the guy said, um, who wants to see him? And I said, tell him Jim Nance is here. <laughs> and off went the security guard. We waited, waited. We thought he kind of forgotten about us. All of a sudden, here comes the security guy with another man in tow. It suddenly mm -hmm. dawned on me. I didn't know what Don Olmeyer looked, looked like. like. <laughs> <laughs> did he have a cigarette, Jim? Uh, yeah, of course he did. <laughs> and a drink in the other hand. Yes, uh, but a towering presence, as you know. Sure. And uh, he walks over and says, hey, I'm looking for Jim Nance. And I said, yes, sir, I'm right here. Now, all of a sudden, I've got to have some confidence here. And he said, how can I help you? And I said, well, I I'm a University of Houston student. I want to work one day in network wow. television. These are my roommates. I introduced them all. And, he's, and I said, I was wondering if there perhaps could be something I could do this week. And I was looking for a job. He said, well, what do you have in mind? And with that, one of them, and I'm not sure it was <laughs> – John or Fred or Blaine, one of them blurted out, he wants to be on the air. And Omar kind of like <laughs> took a, almost spit out his cigarette and said, well, uh, we have all the announcers we need, but if you would be willing to work with us this weekend, I can find some things for you to do. Wow. It wouldn't pay anything, but I can get you a credential. I'll tell you what it is. You know, we're out here at 17. Our announcers are parking up at the clubhouse behind 18 Green. So I've got some people helping shuttle them by cart when they pull up uh, to start their day, and they bring them down to the compound. And then at the end of the day, you would need to drive them back to the parking lot. And I thought, you know what? If I'm not going to be on there, this might be the second best job <laughs> this weekend. So it's uh, amazing. Away we go. And I ended up being a runner for NBC that week. Of course, I had a lot of lag time. Once I got the Don Crickies. Uh, and the John Brodies of the world and Bob Golby's, yeah. uh, these were all the announcers, Lee yeah. Trevino. Once I got them safely to the compound, um, I I just kind of hung around the trucks. I went in and invited myself to watch Olmeyer produce the show. And then I would thank him Saturday and Sunday for the opportunity. But on Sunday, he said, hey, kid, you did a good job. He said, uh, we're doing the Byron Nelson next week up at Dallas. Says, you want to come join us? I come said, on. I would love to. He said, I'll even pay you. Wow. I said, really? He says, yeah, can you get there on Friday? I said, well, my last final is on Friday morning, and I, I can be there by like 2 o'clock. He says, you're done. Here's, who, here's the guy you call. So I went up to Dallas, and the next week he gave me a better job. I sat in a tower as a spotter <clears throat> for a golfer named John Schroeder. Mm -hmm. Did the golf for years and was brilliant and kind to me. <clears throat> but um, they paid me $20 a day, which to me was a lot of money. And I got paid for Friday for checking in. So I got paid $60 to drive to Dallas. <clears throat> now, while I was there, I thought, I'm going to double down. I'm going to call on some of these people I've met in the press box and tell them I'm up here in Dallas and I could do some free reports from the Byron Nelson, some free radio reports. And that I did. Mm-hmm. That this is truly amazing. So your Jim Nance, your first paying network television gig, 
which this technically is, is NBC Sports, your first ever paying gig in network television came from you just cold calling, if you will, with Freddie Couples and Blaine McAllister and your your buddies, Don Olmeyer of NBC Sports. That is true. That is a fact. There's not one embellishment here. That's 100% fact. <laughs> And that was the way I got into it. So to take it another step, yeah. uh, the CBS radio affiliate in Houston took me up on that. A great guy named Dave Barrett and Jerry Truppiano. They said, sure, why not? Have at it. I said, I will write some copy and you can. It was like an all news format. So I would condense the day's scoring down to like 40 second uh, voiceover uh-huh. here at the Byron Nelson, Tom Watson leads the tournament after a second round 67. You know, I didn't have a lot of experience doing this, but I sure sold them on the fact I could do it and they aired it. And at the, at the end of the weekend, they invited me to come by the station in Houston. And if I ever wanted to come by, they saw somebody was enterprising and work as an unpaid intern, no credit hours, you've got a job. So I did. So by meeting Olmeyer, and yes, getting my first gig making $60, I doubled down on that and created a position as an, again, unpaid position at a CBS radio station in Houston. And I ended up working for KTRH until I was a full-time television person upon graduation. Yeah, I, in fact, I took the KTRH freelancing or, or volunteering because I, yeah. I really worked over 40, 50 hours a week for them and didn't get paid. I was just completely enamored with watching these pros at work every day and running coffee for them, whatever I could do. Jerry Truppiano became later on, sure. not only the Astros and the Oilers play-by-play man, but the uh, Boston Red Sox, Red huge Sox. mentor of mine. Jerry uh, ran the department and you know, he, he gave me all kinds of advice along the way. I ended up taking that though, getting an opportunity to audition for a weekend sports anchoring gig on the CBS TV affiliate, which I won. So now by my junior year in college, I'm volunteering at the radio station on the CBS side, and I'm actually on the air on weekends about every other weekend on Channel 11, CBS in Houston. So, yes, I created opportunity. Yeah. Well, you didn't just you 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 created them, but you worked your tail off to get the next one and the next one and just an insatiable desire to reach your goal, like a singular mind. I mean, I. Does it ever dawn on you? Did you ever thought at all? Because you're such a positive person, but does it ever dawn on you at all? Like, what if you didn't stroll past the 17th hole at that Houston Open that day with your friends? Like, I, I mean, like, what, what happened? What happened? And then if you're like, yeah, you know what? I'm not gonna tell him Jim Nance is here. Don't tell, yeah, tell Don Omar Jim Nance is here. You know, does that ever hit you at all? Like, what if you didn't? do such a thing i probably never would have been in the business i don't know what it desperately tried to create some other scenarios There's sure no question um because i did have the wow. gig at the local radio of the campus radio station but the 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 backup plan was to go work with my dad who was mm-hmm. a furniture salesman he was a wholesale furniture salesman who had accounts in louisiana oklahoma and the whole state of texas it wasn't an easy life. He was in his car all the time, calling on clients from New Orleans all the way to El Paso and Midland and Tulsa and Oklahoma City and all places in between. He traveled all the time, sat in his car, listening to the radio, dreaming a lot, dreaming for his son a lot. And as an only son, I knew that one day I wanted to take a lot of that 
off his plate and go to work with my dad. That, that, that would be fun to be able to share the experience with my dad. So that was the plan. If, if I didn't get a chance, if I didn't feel like it was realistic, I was going to go down that road of going into the family business with my dad pretty quickly. But, you know, I, I graduated from school in 1981. And by this time, I'm still working for the, the same radio station that I called from Dallas, KTRH. And Channel 11, both are CBS affiliates. I felt this CBS tug. And all of a sudden, one day out of the blue, I got a headhunter who called me about an opening in Salt Lake City uh-huh. at a CBS station. Here we go. Now this is so where we go. I didn't go. know anything Here. about Salt Lake. I mean, uh-huh. I knew it was beautiful. Uh, but I thought, I'm not leaving Houston, top 10 market with all these big-time sports, to go to Utah. And that's how... Really, I didn't. I didn't have a handle on the world. I didn't have a good scope of things. I'm just young, mm-hmm. right. but I thought I'm going to go up there and visit just to get some experience of the interviewing process. Yes. So I, I, I took the uh, the interview. I flew into Salt Lake and I looked around. And thought this is the most gorgeous place I've ever seen. They actually had me prepare a sports cast, and I went in and auditioned. Did a three or four minute sports cast. Met everybody on the way back to the airport to take me back to Houston. The sports director there, Don Judd, offered me the job, said, you've passed every test for us. Well, we're going to offer you the job. It's going to pay uh, $36,000 a year, plus we'll give you the use of a car. That's big. I I had gone to heaven. I went back home, talked to my dad and my mom about it. Like, how am I going to leave Houston? But but I I just got a really good feeling about this station. KSL is a huge, Huge. to this day, a giant influence. In the Salt Lake market, really well-run station. I have great friends that are still there. So I went back, and it was a leap of faith. But I thought I'm going to leave Houston, and maybe it's a good thing just to leave and get another market experience. So I did. I left. Um, I left a year upon graduation, um, and went to Salt Lake City to to anchor and to call Utah Jazz basketball games that came with it. With Hot Rod Hundley. Yes, I was going to ask you who is in the who's on the team. Yeah. The great Hot Rod Hundley, who's Hot a Rod broadcasting Hundley. legend and, and in his own right. Yeah, yeah, and on the team was Mark Eaton, who we just lost. Who was an mm-hmm. incredible dental giant, wonderful friend. Daryl Griffith, Ricky Green, eventually Thurl Bailey, John Stockton. Great guys, love that franchise. That's still the team I root for the most because of my my ties there. And just pulling up the story a little bit, two years later, I got one of those calls out of the blue again, and I ended up going to New York to audition for CBS, just about three, a little more than three years out of college. Let's talk game time. Boy, do we love using game time tickets at the Rich Eisen Show. And every single time I've been watching the basketball playoffs on TV, I've been wondering what it would be like to be at these games. And when you choose your tickets on game time, you can see the view from your seat, where the court is, where you are in relation to it. And then the all-in prices, that's my favorite feature. The all-in prices makes sure that you see the lowest price guarantee and also know exactly how much everything costs costs all in before you purchase. So all the guesswork is removed when you buy playoff tickets with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use my code RICH for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Visit GameTime.co for restrictions. Again, create an account, redeem my code RICH for $20 off your first purchase. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. 
Hey, folks, it's time for the NFL Draft, which means for me, I need a good night's sleep because if I don't have one, I'm just not myself. You know the deal. You know exactly how important it is to have quality sleep. It's a game changer for all of us. So Sleep Number helps me. My Sleep Number setting is 60. My wife's setting is 70. We both get a great night's sleep because we could adjust the firmness of our mattress on each side. Improve your quality sleep because Sleep Number learns how you sleep thanks to their smart beds and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Who called you? from CBS sports, the, the dream, the <laughs> dream call, this. the one, the call that like walk me through that call for somebody that we've already established on this pod here. And obviously for your life here, that the 11 year old wanting this call and the call comes walk me through that, Jim. It was August the 15th <laughs> yeah, of 1985. Yeah. And I had just come in from playing in the Utah open pro-am. And I was going to be doing my sports cast that night mm-hmm. on, this was a Thursday. I was going to do the, the six and 10 o'clock news sports cast. And I went through a pile of messages. One of which was from a guy from CBS named Ed Gorin. <laughs> Your friend of mine. It was Ed who called you, huh? It was Ed. Now, <sighs> listen, I, at the time, I just assumed it was CBS looking to put some packaging together. Now, I had had calls from CBS in the past, the Bob Mons box of the world. They go to their affiliates and would ask back in those days for B-roll for features they were doing. Hey, can you send us some BYU practice footage? We need it for a story we're doing. So I I figured it was just, you know, the courtesy that you do. You put, you dub off some, some highlights of uh, Robbie Bosco at quarterback and, you, you know, you, you ship it overnight by FedEx. Yes, <laughs> but when I when when Ed uh, answered my return call, he said, um, "Hey, we've been watching your your sportscasts recently, and we like what we see. We have an opening. I'm sure you're aware of it." And I said, "No, actually, I'm not aware of it. You, you didn't read about it in the USA Today." I said, "No." See, this was the early stages of Rudy Martsky yes. at the USA Today, which became kind of the centerpiece of information flow. What was happening, who was in, who was out. I hadn't seen it. So apparently uh, they were making a change. Not, not apparently. They were making a change uh, at, at the anchor position for the college football studio, the Prudential College Football Report. And uh, there was a a guy that was the running favorite for it out of Boston. And he was in a contract negotiation and things were going sideways. And uh, Bob Lobel, it was his job. Mm-hmm. And Bob apparently asked for more money or I don't know. I don't want to speculate, but there's sure. something broke down in the negotiation. So on August the 15th, they called me to say that in New York on Saturday, two days <laughs> later, they were holding an audition for five people to be the studio anchor. 
And we've thought about it a lot. We've watched your work. We know you're young and the whole thing. And we thought, let's bring the kid in from Salt Lake City. I'm paraphrasing here. But that's kind of what I, I took out of it. So, um, yeah, it meant I had to be on a plane the next morning. I was a late addition. And, and uh, I was the number two anchor at KSL. Our number one anchor, the great Paul James, was was out of town on vacation. So uh -oh. there was no backup. I was going to go mm -hmm. like 10 straight nights of anchoring. Mm -hmm. I found our news director, uh, Spence Kennard, and his assistant, a guy named Ernie Ford. And I, I told him that night, I've got an opportunity to go to New York and audition. And I can still remember Ernie saying to me, he said, son, don't worry about it. We'll figure out a way to cover for you. Wow. These opportunities that is never happen. Jim. You get on that plane tomorrow morning and good luck. We're proud of you. What wow. I did. The good next morning, I took a Western Airlines flight to JFK. I couldn't believe it. CBS sent a car to pick me up at, at JFK. I'm riding in style. You know, this is like, uh, you know. I don't know what it's out of Beverly Hillbillies or, or, um, no, it's, Ferris it's, Bueller's it's, day off, it's, you know? it's hard work. It's hard work paying off and you getting your lottery ticket and getting struck by lightning, however you want to put it. But you know, uh, I, I'm, there aren't a lot of news directors in our business who would have told you too bad, too bad. You're my oh, guy. You're my oh, guy. Oh. I need you. This is, you know, this is your job. That's not your job. This is your job. I hired you, you know, like, Good for what was his name? I mean, you. Ernie, what was Ernie it? Ford? Ultimately, was the guy. Wow, uh, who pulled that quick decision? So, quick so lucky, and so yep, I went so to New good. York. Uh, yeah, so I went to New York on that Friday, and yeah. uh, Ed and Patty uh, yes. were hosting a dinner at the Russian Tea Room for the finalists. It's kind of strange. <laughs> you're going to sit around a table with all those guys you're competing against. Of course, I'm just I'm just happy to be noticed. I don't expect to get this job. Yeah. Then I find out the other finalists are Pat Hayden, who was auditioning to be the anchor. Mm -hmm. uh, an unbelievable friend of mine to this sure. day. Um, a guy named Fred Wymore, who had made it to WCBS in New York out of Sacramento. He was the weekend anchor in New York. James Brown. Wow. JB. And Roy Firestone who was wow. the anchor there at KCBS in Los Angeles. So you got two guys from LA, Pat and Roy. You got JB from DC. You got a guy from New York, Wymore. And you got some kid wet behind the ears from Salt Lake City who's just excited that he got to fly first class because <laughs> CBS sent him a first class ticket and had, got to ride in a limo into the city to his hotel. So <laughs> we went to dinner uh, at the Russian Tea Room, and I didn't get the chance to say a whole lot. But uh, they gave us the rundown of the order of, of, of how it was going to go the next day. And I was going to be fifth, the fifth and final one. And uh, that next morning, of course, it was a sleepless night. Got all prepped to go down to the CBS Broadcast Center. And I realized I had not packed a tie, okay, in my haste. <laughs> so I could still, the shop is still there on um, 7th Avenue. I ran in and bought a tie, the skinniest tie you ever saw in your life. Just awful. Uh, and I showed up to the broadcast center, and I, I went in and uh, performed the audition. And on my audition, it was two segments of scores and highlights, which you were not allowed to prepare for. They gave you like 15 minutes with a deck of cards and wow. highlight sheets for you to kind of quickly go through it. And the third segment, they said, you're going to be interviewing a college football expert. 
So I didn't know what that meant. So I figured the scores were going to kind of come out rapidly. They'd be, be moving them along. They were being shown in a rear projection screen <laughs> behind me. I could see myself on camera. At the same time, I could see the scores over my shoulder. I had never worked that way. We never had that ability in Salt Lake to work where you'd see yourself. Yeah. So um, I, I knew there were going to be some scores that would come out upside down just to see how it would handle all of a sudden they're out of order and how you would get the train back on the tracks. Mm -hmm. I was mentally prepared for that. And I felt like I smoothly handled that. And at the end of the second scoring segment, Ed said in my ear, throw it to commercial promising Mike Francesa coming up next. <laughs> oh! So who's Mike Francesa? So I threw on it to your commercial. audition, part of your audition, yeah, on my audition. And there's an actual prudential commercial running. And okay. all of a sudden out from behind the back, here comes a guy walks up, shakes a hand. He's obviously from New York. Hey, I'm Mike Francesa. <laughs> yes. I said, hi, Jim Nancy said, ask me anything you want about college football. He said, anything, anything. So stand by 10 seconds. The commercial ends wide shot. Welcome back. I'm here with Mike Francesa who knows everything about college football. Mike, let's start with the Heisman. Who are the favorites this year in the Heisman race? He went through all that. I asked about conferences and this and that. And eventually Ed said, take us off the air. Thank Mike and throw it back to the game. Mike, thank you. Great insight. We'll be back with the second half as we continue here on CBS in just a moment. Boom. Finished it. As they dip to black, out of the control room suddenly comes a whole parade of people. Yeah. Ted Shaker, oh, who had a huge part in this decision to hire me, who's great to me, still is. Duke struck the director, Ed Gorin. They came out and they were giddy-eyed. You know, they were like wide-eyed. Like, wow, how, how did you how did you feel that? How did you feel that went? I said, Well, felt a little rough. I mean, I, I think I could have done better. They said, Wow, well, you didn't make a mistake. I said, well, thank you. And, and then Teddy pointed to a monitor over my shoulder. CBS was on the air mm -hmm. with, uh, with a horse race at the time. And he said, you remind me a lot of that guy pointing over my shoulder. I turned around to see there, I guess, been a quick camera cut. Mm -hmm. And there was a shot of one of the racing analysts at the time, a guy named Frank Wright. Mm -hmm. And I said, I remind you a lot of Frank Wright. He says, no, that's good that you know who he is. No, that guy. I turned around and it was Brent. He says, you remind me a lot of him. I wow. said, Brent Musburger? Yes. I said, that's that's quite a compliment. He said, it is. Just right to the point. Mm -hmm. It is. He said, you think you could do this for real? I said, uh, you mean the job? He's, he, I, I said, I, well, if I had more time to prep, I think I could be better than what I showed you today. Like, would I have the chance to prepare during the week? All week long, we'd have a whole team of people behind you. It should be easier, but you think you can handle the live element of it, national television? I said, I think I can. He said, good, good. Ed's going to go out to dinner with you, and we'll be back in touch. So that night, Ed took me to dinner mm -hmm. and said that, uh, you know, things had gone well. And he said, I can tell you this. How old are you again? They had asked me that several times. 26. And I think they just couldn't get to pass the fact that a kid from Salt Lake, even though I felt like my foundation was from Houston, could just walk in and maybe handle the pressure of national television. So uh, he said, "We're gonna, you're gonna, your your life changed today, on the seventeenth of August, nineteen eighty five. You are going to be either the guy that's going to get this job, or we're going to put you in one of our O and Os, which would be New York at the time, New York, Chicago, L A, 
I believe KMOX in St. Louis might have been an O and O at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, CAU in Philadelphia. So I knew that night that I was going to be making a step. I didn't know I was going to actually get the job, and ultimately they just decided to give me the job. And Pat ended up coming on board as of course. as kind of a co-anchor, more of an analyst, but as a co-anchor. And then JB, obviously, JB is ended up getting hired within. You know, he was working part time for CBS on some. NBA coverage and things like that and became a, a staple and treasure right. teammate. With Ed Gorin on Fox too, and then back to CBS where he is currently today, tossing to you and you to him on the biggest games on CBS. It really is amazing. I do want to, you know, I know our just have a few minutes left here with you, Jim, but how did you get to the tower and the masters in 1986? You're hired in 80. So you're hired in 85 and then you're, well, you you're- know, here, here, here's one. I just thought of this. When I left to go to Salt Lake and all these calls were coming in, Freddie Couples right. was staying at my condominium in Salt Lake. He was playing right. in a tournament out there. <laughs> Amazing. So I asked him, like, how would I handle this? You know, like, this is going to be like, could be life changing. You know, Freddie's the coolest guy of all time. There's a lot more internally going on and fire and anxiety than the world ever knew. I knew it. But I was asking him, how did he disguise it? And he said, just keep telling yourself, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. He said, when I'm over a shot, I just keep saying in my head. So it's just on a loop. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. So when I was in there auditioning, I just kept saying, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. I sat at a chair on the NFL Today desk. There was the chair that on the back had a piece of tape that had somebody had written in a Sharpie, Brent. I was sitting in Brent Musburger's chair. I had watched the NFL today for years. By the way, you got to read this book coming up. Uh, Rich Podolsky's writing a book called You Are Looking Live Mm. about the history of the NFL today. I'm all in on that. But um, yeah, you got to have him on your show. So I had this dream sequence that I had actually been through that dream sequence so much since I was 11 that there was a certain calmness for me being there because I felt like I had been there before in my mind. Then coupled with Freddie telling me it's no big, de- big deal, it's no big deal, it's no big deal. So it's just a, a pretty cool thing that Freddie was in my life when I was in school nurturing the dream. And there he was when I was leaving for New York and coming back. And now my life's never going to be the same. And, um, you know, I ended up getting I ended up getting the job. Oh, here you go. So this is August. In September, Fred's attending the U.S. Open tennis tournament. Mm-hmm. He loves sports. He ran into Frank Cherkinian, who was the father of golf television. And Freddie knew him because Freddie already was a star on the tour. And, and you know, Frank knew all the young players. And Frank went up to him and said, hey, this kid, uh, we just hired a guy at, at uh, CBS that says he knows you, Jim Nance. And Fred says, I know you did. He said, does he know anything about golf? He said, well, he was my roommate and teammate. He said, Good. Freddie anxiously called me right back. Said, Frank Jerkinian was just asking about you. <laughs> he said he's going to have a role for you. So I knew if I didn't screw up the football too much, there might be golf in the offing. And in fact, I ended up hosting a few months after football, the final four for the first time. The st- whole studio operation through the 86 tournament, including the final four. Um, so that was a big gig for a kid, still 26. And then, um, you know, I showed up at the Masters uh, the week after that for the first time. And I've been there now 36 years. And I got to tell you, it's just as sweet now walking 
uh, onto the grounds at Augusta or being at the Final Four or being in the studio or putting on the CBS jacket now as it was 36 years ago. But you were in the 16th Tower, right? When Jack, when Jack hit that famed shot trying to win that Masters that he did at the age that he was, that famed moment where, what, his his – who was his caddy? Was it his son? And- his son, Jackie. Jackie was caddying for him, and, and uh, he had a six iron that spun off the hill, and it rolled just past the cup and nearly, very, very nearly went in for an ace and uh, ended up making the putt at that point to tie the lead. And I said something about the bear has come out of hibernation. And I don't know where the line came from. In fact, I, I concerned myself, worried myself that maybe it had already been said by someone else on the broadcast. Thankfully, it hadn't. Mm-hmm. Again, I was just trying to earn a ticket back for the 87 Masters. Um, and gloriously for me, um, and I've been going back every year since. I'm, I'm grateful. Yeah, that's that fame story where Jack hits the shot and he's picking up the tee and he hears his, his I guess this is true, he hears his son say, be the right stick. And he goes, it is, right? Yeah, is be, that- be, clo- be, get, be close. And Jack's not even watching. He's picking yes. the tee out of the ground and says, it is. It is. <laughs> I was with Jack. Last month, we were recounting that story. We did a couple of events together out in Pebble. Um, I love the man. He's 81 years old now. And uh, he's uh, he's very aware that my first Masters was his epic sixth green jacket. And I just feel what a way to come in mm. to golf, to be able to see the curtain call, the encore performance by the greatest winningest champion in the history of the game. And then to be able to document all the other eras and of course, most notably tigers and uh, the next generation to come. Well, uh, I'm wrapping this up, Jim. I I just want to say this, just hearing your story. I I didn't know a lot of what you just said. Um, And for me, I I got to ESPN at age 26 and uh, I'm going to tell the story of my, uh, of my, of my audition after I say goodbye at the end of this pod here. But um, it was very similar in the fact that I've, I have I felt like I had belonged. I didn't have that phrase in my head of no big deal, but I had I did have some sort of mechanism. No, I, I did to try and get that job through that audition. And then I was 26 there. And then, you know, I I it was kind of a shocker to me parting ways. And a lot of that was management and a lot of that was my belief in myself and what they were not offering me, but that's, that's neither here nor there. But my first gig after leaving sports center, I got a call on my honeymoon from Tony Petiti of CBS sports, offering me the job to do the late night highlight show of the U S open on CBS that they shoehorned in between Letterman and Kilbourne for a couple of weeks. And, and I got that jacket that CBS sports jacket. And I've never shared this with, you. I never really had an opportunity to, or a forum to, and I'm going to do it here. I had that jacket. When I put that jacket on, I, I, I thought of you, I really did. And that I was representing you and, and I'm serious. I was representing you in this gold standard organization of sports. And, and then, you know, but I, I also was doing, a lot of you know comedy and stuff and having fun because it was late night which is maybe part of the reason why they hired me but it was very un-us open tennis like stuff and i i was concerned about whether this was working or not or the right thing or not and about a week into the tournament you showed up i guess just as a patron but mm-hmm. you you came to the back you came to the green room and the production room and you said hello to me and you told me i was doing a great job 
I don't know if you remember this or not, but you told me. I remember you know, seeing you there. You, this is what you what told me, and, and it meant so much to me. I'd never much. met you before. And, um, and the fact that I can have you on a show like this, call you up and be able to call you a friend, which is, I know a very, which is true. Very true. It's it's a power of words. It's a testament to what you say. You might think it doesn't stick. The fact that that's stuck with you, that, that means a lot to me. I, uh, I think we all have to be mindful you know, when you're 26, now you weren't 26, obviously, this is later in your that, career, but when you're yes. 26, you think that you're mature enough to be able to handle all this. And you're disguising a lot of it, I think. I mean, I think that we're not as worldly as we thought we were. You know, it takes a lot of internal confidence, but you don't want to be overconfident. And I, I'm kind of now that I'm in my 60s, I'm amazed that I got fortunate enough to be able to get those opportunities. And mm. I'm just grateful for all the people along the way, whether it was Don Olmeyer, who was hugely helpful, or Ed Gorin picking up the phone and calling me, or Ted Shaker, and all, all the other people that I mentioned. You know, I remember what they say. It's interesting. Andrew Marchand yesterday on a uh, NFL seminar conference call asked me to name some of the really young play-by-play announcers I see out there who make an impression on me. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to do that because if I leave someone out, it's going to hurt someone's feelings. Yeah. Because there's so much talent out there. I can remember Keith Jackson got the Lifetime Emmy, and it was pretty early in my career. And I was sitting in the audience that night. I didn't know Keith all that well. But he talked about the next generation of broadcasters, and he rattled off a few names. He mentioned me. It was like one of the greatest things ever in my life that Keith Jackson actually – Mention me now. Had he not, I, I probably at that point would have thought, man, I'm not that good, or yeah. I haven't been noticed, or I'm way behind, or you know, it's we all have somewhere deep inside some some fragile egos that you're never quite sure how other people see you. Does that make sense? Of course. You know, you, you, yeah. No question. So, I, I refused yesterday to answer that question. There's so many gifted people. We have this uh, award that a guy uh, named Joe Chelesnik named uh, uh, the College Sports Broadcast of the Year after me. And it's now 11 years in the making. And mm. there are 11 different great young broadcasters uh, who have won the award. It's They call it the College Sports Broadcasting Heisman. I'm so honored to have my name on it because I was like you were. We were one of them. I actually feel... Worse for the ones that don't win it because there's a group of finalists. There's top 20 rankings. You can see it all online. It's amazing what they do. But I've had a friendship and a relationship with virtually every one of the winners, and they're all doing great. They're all breaking in, getting their chances. And um, thank you. I just, I'll just i leave you with this. Just thank you for sure. letting me reminisce. I had to dust off some of the cobwebs no, a little bit. No, great. Of a detail. And, uh, but, Rich, you are a great friend. And, thanks, um, Jim. Our careers have had a very parallel path, uh, I'm proud to say, and uh, we still have a ways to go. And I know that. I know you. that. And I, I love that advice. I assume that's the best piece of advice you've received in your career. No no big deal from uh, from Krupples. I imagine yeah. that, that, that yeah, right up me. there. It, no question. It did. <laughs> um, don't make more out of things than they are. Even though your career is riding on it, uh, the world still you know, will go on. And the old sun will come up tomorrow line. That cliche is true. And we have ups and downs. We've had moments we would love to have back, all of us in our careers. 
And, uh, you know, time helps take care of it. There's a lot of highs, there's some lows, uh, but there's a never ending major, major reservoir of gratitude. And um, that's where I'm coming from. Jim Nance, you are the best. Thanks for being on this episode of Just Getting Started and being part of this. We couldn't have a uh, a, a segment, uh, a group of uh, podcasts on NFL Voices without you. Thank you. Hey, thank you for including me, Rich. Of course. I'll see you out in LA. You're the best. Okay. Thanks, pal. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. What a great chat with Jim Nance right there. And just hearing his story about his audition in New York City when he was in the guy from Salt Lake, I guess, from out there in Utah, and how he couldn't believe that his fortunes had landed him in uh, in a network studio with all these big executives who were telling him that they were interested in him for their network job and how overwhelmed he was at the notion and how he couldn't believe his good fortune. I, I it, it, it struck me because I felt the same exact way when I did my audition for ESPN, when I was in Redding, California and got a phone call at work. And I apologize if I'm retelling stories that I've already told on this podcast before, because you know, uh, we're, we're several in and, and, uh, I forget what I've said already, to be honest with you. And also, you know, um, these stories overlap and experiences overlap, but I was sitting in my newsroom at the sports desk in Redding, California, the ABC affiliate that I was working for. I think out of the 200 some odd metered markets in the United States, this is, this is like, market this number 120 or something at any rate there was a phone on the desk and the phone on the desk for my desk it would ring once if it was a local call and it would go ring ring if it was a call from outside the area code i've never had a phone like that before this was 1995 and this phone existed in my world And it would go ring, ring only when like my parents called from New Jersey or my brother called from Southern California. That was basically it. I mean, my friends, when they would want to reach me, would not call me at work. So I'm sitting at my desk and it goes ring, ring. And I pick it up and it was an agent named Henry Reich. 
from William Morris talent agency telling me that he had heard I was one of the hottest up and coming sportscasters in America. And can I send him my, my reel, my tape that I'd sent to headhunters around the country. These three search firms that networks could find talent through where they would just look at these reels of sportscasters from around the country. And I sent mine to three headhunters figuring what does it cost? Just first class postage. And I'm like, couldn't believe that this guy had said this. And I, I'm like, if you say so that I'm hot and cup and coming, cause I'm about to drive, you know, about an hour into these mountains here in Northern California to go cover a high school volleyball game. Like, I'm not feeling very hot, but of course I didn't say that to this guy. I'm like, okay, like what's your address? And I took his address and I'm like, how can I follow up? You know, I took his phone number. I wasn't going to let this guy go. And I immediately hung up the phone and looked around and thought, was I being punked? And um, no. And I called my brother and my brother, you know, couldn't believe that this happened for me too. Cause he knew what my dream was to get to ESPN and 10 minutes later, the phone ring, ring again. Like that's two ring rings, two outside calls like this. Like, did he call my parents and they calling me now? I mean, like who could it be? And I thought, said to myself, watch, I am such hot shit. That's ESPN on the phone. And it was Al Jaffe from ESPN, who is the chief talent coordinator for ESPN. The guy who found all the sports center anchors that was on the air and, you know, from Kilbourne all the way to you name it. Al Jaffe was the was the talent hunter for ESPN who I'd sent so many unsolicited resumes and tapes to with no response. It was Al. And I thought, like, did my brother put this guy up to, you know, like a friend of mine, say, call Rich, say you're Al Jaffe, he'll, 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 he'll buy it. You know, you can really screw with his head. And I almost drop the mf bomb on him i said you know who is this mf you know, like i didn't thankfully and it was really al jaffe who invited me down to los angeles to meet with executives a few weeks later and i did and i just remember flying down to la and meeting them and one executive after another came down from an upstairs as a, a lobby of a hotel the um which is now the L sls hotel in la cienega boulevard in los angeles and um you know, it was um, out of body experience, one executive after another interviewing me for Sports Center. Like, wow, I couldn't believe this was happening. And eventually, we booked a time for me to fly to Bristol for a um, for an audition, and I couldn't believe that either. And my head was just spinning, and my heart was bumping out of my chest for those weeks waiting for that time as I'm going about my business driving around Redding California with my big camera and huge tape deck and doing you know the one-man band operation in a small outfit thinking could I really go from here to ESPN is that possible did I just get win the lottery and I flew east for the audition and got as far as Chicago before one of the biggest snowstorms in the history of the 90s hit the East Coast, and I couldn't get into Connecticut, and I had to turn around and go back. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, did I just lose this opportunity? 
will I ever reschedule? Like what happens? Like, could this have happened? Could I be like the moonlight Graham here? You know, like I had my one shot and it didn't work out and now I'm going to never get a chance at ESPN. But sure enough, I, I, um, I got another shot and I flew out two weeks later and I remember getting into ESPN and I'm like, couldn't believe this was going to happen. And it was on a Sunday I flew in and Monday was my audition and I was in the Radisson Hotel across the street from ESPN, which is to use the Al Michaels phrase, uh, he always would refer to substandard hotels as a two and a half seasons or a one and a half seasons instead of a four seasons. This was about a one season hotel. And uh, to the point where, uh, you know, the person upstairs, as I'm trying to get some sleep the night before, uh, I could hear the person urinating in the toilet upstairs through the thin ceiling. Like, that's a true story. As I, like, I couldn't get any sleep that night. And I could hear the guy, uh, you know, I'm assuming it had to be a man because you just heard the, the flowing water. Uh, the guy's peeing flushing the toilet. It was, it was insane. I, I I hardly slept a wink that night. But what I definitely did do before going to sleep is I watched SportsCenter. The 11 o'clock SportsCenter on a Sunday night back in that day in the mid-90s was the, the height of the big show with Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann. And I remember watching it and thinking to myself how I would do the highlight if, if I was the one doing the highlights. That's the way I did it. I'm like, I'm going to do my homework. I'll practice doing highlights by saying, I would have done it this way. I would have done it that way, even though Keith and Dan do it perfectly. And I just remember that there was a highlight of of a basketball game. Grant Hill was doing something and, you know, against Jordan, maybe, you know, Pistons and Bulls or whatever. And um, they used it as like a tic-tac-toe board. So, uh, for instance, Grant Hill would do a great highlight and they would put like a Grant Hill face on the top left part of a tic-tac-toe board. Jordan made a good play. It would be Jordan in the middle of the board. And it was just a, a highlight produced by somebody who wanted to do something different, right? And it was just Grant Hill and Michael Jordan highlights and they made it seem like they were playing a game of tic-tac-toe and it wound up being a draw. And I just remember saying to myself, since I was such a big Hollywood Squares game show fan, I would have, instead of instead of saying, well, let's put Grant Hill in that square and we'll put Michael Jordan in that square, I would have said a phrase from the back in the day, I'll take Rosemarie for the block, you know, because one of the highlights was somebody blocking a shot. And then I would say, oh, that's not Rosemarie, that's so-and-so. I just, that's what I was thinking. I would have done it this, would have done it that way. So next day, wake up, it's time to do the audition. And I show up. And I'm in the newsroom of ESPN and there's, you know, uh, like Gary Miller was doing sports center at the time. And I'm like looking around, where's Dan, where's Keith, right? Like my, where's Berman just like sort of stargazing in a way and can't believe I'm here. And I'm like, how does this happen? And, you know, um, they told me, get ready for the show. Here's your rundown of the highlights. And I'm like, rundown? Like, I used to create my own rundown at Reading. I didn't have a rundown. I used to wrote, no one created one for me. I did it myself. And also, the I worked the teleprompter myself with a foot pedal that we would pass underneath the desk from the news anchor to the sports anchor. When it was time for sports, the news anchor would just shove with their foot, the foot pedal to me underneath the desk, and you would give it some gas to work the, the prompter. At, at your own speed. And they told me someone else was going to work the prompter for me. And if I put the the copy in for my lead-ins, 
they would work the prompter for me. And I'm like, okay, great. But deep down inside, I'm like, this is amazing. People do stuff for you here. You don't have to do it all yourself. But the saving grace of it was the highlights that they were going to use in my audition were the same highlights from the Dan and Keith Sports Center the night before, unbeknownst to me. Me watching that show and going through the motions of what I would have done with the highlights. Now I actually get to put it into practice for my audition. I had, unbeknownst to me, rehearsed my audition the night before sitting in that radis and listening to the person peeing upstairs. So I was ready. I was ready and I was like psyched. I, they're like, do you want to see the highlights before? And I'm like, sure, I'll take a look at them just to make sure it was the same highlights that I saw. And I was scrolling through the, you know, scrubbing through the tapes, which they were tapes at the time. I'm like, oh my God, I've seen this before. I know what I'm going to say. And I went downstairs and I killed the audition. And in the same way that Nance had the executives like Ed Gorn come out smiling from ear to ear saying, good job. Because not only did they think they had their man, but it also confirmed their abilities to spot talent in the eyes of whoever their bosses are. That when I was done with my audition, Al Jaffe came out from the, the control room, big smile on his face saying, great job. And he's chuckling. He goes, Rosemary for the block. That's a great line. And I'm like, yeah, baby, I got the job. And I did. And that's the story of my ESPN audition that, you know, uh, a lot of dumb luck, a lot of hard work, a lot of preparation, a lot of thoughts of, you know, don't get any rest, watch the show, get ready for it. Maybe these are the things that you can do, get your mind ready. And I actually inadvertently prepared for my audition before I did it. Amazing. I can't believe that happened. And Nance telling that story, it's just like the same thing I did. And I was age 26, just like Jim. So I want to thank my friend who came on the show and did a little hello friends with me. And um, I want to thank you for taking in this latest edition of Just Getting Started. More to come right here on this podcast. Don't you dare do anything except subscribe so you could hear all of the episodes prior to this one with Jim Nance right here on Just Getting Started.